0: Hello, and welcome to the Religious Studies Project. I am David McConaughey, and she is...
1: Brianne Fallon, and he's...
2: David Robertson. Uh, Thanks for having me on the show, guys. Uh, It's a real privilege. Been a fan for a long time.
0: We're so happy to have you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I I was supposed to introduce the, the episode. I've just remembered Okay, so this <laughs> this week we have um, a podcast we've been waiting quite a while to put up. Actually, I've um, been looking forward to this one for a long time. It's called "Reflections on the Thinking with Jonathan Z. Smith Conference," um, and it's by Andy, Exale- Andy Alexander, and she's speaking to Aaron Hughes. And this was recorded at the uh, NTNU. What's that? NTNU.
0: Norwegian University for Science and Technology. Wonderful. Amazing.
2: Yes, in Trondheim in Norway. So um, take it away, Andy.
3: Welcome to the Religious Studies Project. I'm Andy Alexander, a doctoral student at Emory University. And joining me today is Dr. Aaron Hughes of the University of Rochester. We are here in Trondheim, Norway, following the... Thinking with Jonathan Z. Smith conference that is hosted at the Norwegian Institute for Science and Technology. And we're here to talk about the legacy of Smith and his work, his contribution, and ways in which we can move forward in the field. So, Aaron, hi. Thanks for joining me.
4: Hi, Andy. How you doing?
3: Great. You enjoying Norway?
4: I am. Very beautiful. It's The midnight, nice. the midnight sun is... Reminds me of my childhood in Edmonton, Alberta.
3: There you go. As, as long as I've been here, it's only been daylight, so no. I don't know if the sun sets, but it's been nice.
4: I think it sets at like one, and then gets up at like three.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's very nice. Mm. Well, uh, let's, let's talk about Smith. Let's talk about what we've discussed and see what questions we have.
4: Sounds great. Let's do it. I think, I mean, I think we should probably begin everything by saying that Smith has probably been the most important theoretician over the past 50 years, half century. Um, I think he's so important, so I'll talk about the past before we talk about the what I, so I think that probably he, more than anyone, was responsible for smashing the Eliadean phenomenological paradigm. Um, the problem is, is even though that paradigm should be long, dead, and buried, it's still one that our students gravitate towards and still one that a number of our colleagues gravitate towards. And I think, I think that's what I tried try to say a couple of times, it's when we're in these r- rarefied environments of people who are more critical, we just think that we're all the same and we preach that the converted. Whereas, uh, you know, when we walk along the halls of the AAR, I look at some of the papers that are given there, they're, uh, they 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 fall back a lot on that old phenomenological model. So I think that's Smith's main importance. I think so S- Smith, and I think this is we all fall in his legacy, refused to treat religion as special, yeah. sui generis, so uh, or as unique in the I think well, unique in the ontological sense. It might be unique to us, but ontologically it's not unique because if it's not unique, then you can't compare it to anything else. And I think that's the beauty of him, is that it was able to show the incongruous relationship between the quote-unquote religious and the quote-unquote mundane. So I think that's where, I mean, and, and, and I think um, the other thing that I think that came up a number of times at the conference was the ludic or the playful dimension of Smith. Uh, but I mean, the flip side of that is his, 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 he was so knowledgeable and so comfortable, whereas when we get undergraduates, they're not comfortable, and they don't have nearly this type of education that he did, so there's a problem of translation. I think the other thing that's great about Smith is his broad comparative, or his broad his broad vision. And I think that's something that a lot of us don't share, because again, that goes against what we're taught in graduate school. So it's funny, I think the, when I talk to a number of people like this, a lot of the people here who... Um, work with Smith, I think, really only began to appreciate Smith like after graduate school, because that, then you can be afforded to the the sort of the slowness of of, of, of 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 reading him and appreciating him.
3: I could see that. It's sort of different, given that I got to read him in undergrad, because
4: yeah, yeah, right.
3: Is a different sort of introduction, right? And at
4: Alabama, yeah, yeah, definitely.
3: And so, in the same sense, it's something that I think is important to, for people to at least have, like, in their repertoire, but something that I find is often not taught
2: in no, grad not.
3: school, but it's never much, and it's always highly contested. Yeah, yeah.
4: I think I said in my, my lecture that we I never encountered Smith till graduate school. We just read, you know, people like Eliade and uh, Weber and... Maybe there was a reason for that I mean maybe maybe the person that taught the course thought well you'll get Smith later so let let's um, so that, that that was good for me is I I because I read first all the things that Smith would later be critical of by the time I came to Smith it was like yeah yeah okay I can I can see I can see that
3: I think that too, the distinction you're making between um, seeing religion as unique, for us and not ontologically unique is something that is lost partly in that religions chapter that he Mm -hmm, wrote. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I suspect as I read it, it was provocative, but probably meant it. And, Mm. but not in the way I, I suspect that a lot of people want to contend with.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And
3: it's easier to dismiss because as you said, he was pushing back against, the whole phenomenological paradigm, I suppose. And while, especially given the group here, we are relatively on the same page and think that this, this should be obvious that this should be something that everyone is doing. And that's something you mentioned in your keynote. How is this not something that's just common knowledge across the academy?
4: I think we, i mean we realize because i think a lot of people still believe in the sacred or a lot of people still believe that religion i think this is where the problem is is a lot of we live in a very chaotic world where religions quote unquote don't seem to like one another particularly. much i think this really comes with the fore after 9 11. so a lot of people in religious studies think that religious studies can be that which facilitates conversation between religions so I always joke to my students. It's like I didn't spend ten years in graduate school to be an interfaith dialogue facilitator. As much as important as that work is, so really, so when I mean, you know, oftentimes I'll try to get Jews and Muslims to talk together, but not in the under the auspices of the academic classroom, because I think, as I've said before, I think the religions get along better when they talk to one another than opposed to when they shout at one another. But I do think a lot of people in the religious studies academy think that. That's the goal of religious studies: is to show the similarities between religions. I disagree. I think Smith would disagree. Um, but I think the the I think what I always worry that, that Smith, was, Smith was Smith was Smith was Smith was on point. Smith was was edgy. Smith was critical. Smith really encourages us to do that. But the two things that I worry about, as I said in the keynote, are those people that will just write them off as a another dead white guy, which I said is absolutely stupid, given the fact that he wasn't even white, he was Jewish. But that's another matter. And the second thing that I think we'll see is people will, is, is to see how the the field will inoculize Smith so that he'll just become like a little name or a trope, as it, and people can invoke, invoke him, but they'll do it in a way that takes off the edge. And I, I think what we see that, I, I've seen it a lot. Yeah. So everyone can say, oh, well according to Smith, blah, blah, blah. But then they'll, they'll never quite follow through in their, in in, in what Smith wanted us to do.
3: I think you're right. And I think in some ways what he was working against then with his, with his work and pushing back against the Eliadean model. I, I think we, we have a different version of it. That's sort of present in the Academy now. It's maybe not as Mm. overt, but I think it's there. And so To me, I I suspect there's some, there's still some push that has to happen. There's still something that has conversations to be had within the discipline and how it works. And I think part of my concern in those conversations is, is the dismissal of Smith.
4: Yeah, no, I think so.
3: It's reductive. All of those sort of critiques that get applied to his work. Yeah. And what I find is that there's very little engagement with it, if yeah. one has even read it.
4: Well, I think just as Smith goes against our traditional ways of reading and thinking about religion, I think the modern academy goes against Smith. So, on the one hand, our students come in woefully ignorant about what religion is. So, we can't engage the type of work that Smith wants until much later. So, I mean, you can't have redescription without description, so, I think we spend a lot of at least our, the classes we teach at the first, at the, at the freshman and sophomore level, trying to describe the students. But hopefully, if they stay for later classes, we can begin to re describe. The other thing is, I think with the contemporary academy, we're always encouraged to do community engagement. And so, I mean, the job interviews will ask people, so how will you interact with the community? What will you do with them? And I think in interacting with the community, we, uh, we have certain expectations that go against what Smith... I don't think Smith ever interacted with the local Jewish community. Yeah. So um, I don't think the, the local communities are really amenable to the type of conversation that Smith had. So I think we have to fight back. And I think that's what some of us would do, but the, I think the key as we move forward is how to keep that the edge of a Smithian analysis and how, how to how to apply it so it just doesn't become a bromide, which is what I think a lot of people would like it to become.
3: Developing what Smith was doing, trying to continue to push it forward, especially given the the requirements both of the job market of service for the school, the department, because certainly that's shifted over the past 20 years alone. And there is that the community engagement is something very big. And there's a, a a huge focus on doing that sort of work. And, and I think that it can be very productive, but as a discipline, we're still figuring out how to do that successfully. I think. Yeah. Some ways that we can both learn but also Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. interpret and translate and in service of of larger concerns and issues, both in the community, uh, the discipline, the nation.
4: Yeah. Well, I I think you're right. I mean, well, well, you'll never, rarely will you see a job in just, you know, theory and method and the study of religion. I think in the past 20 years, I've maybe seen three or four of those. So one always has to be trained in a tradition. And I'm not sure if Smith was trained in the tradition. I mean, his thesis was on the, or his dissertation was on the golden
1: mm-hmm.
4: Um So Smith was a generalist at a time when religious studies is into particularists. So the question, I think, becomes, how can you translate a Smithian analysis or a Smithian-type analysis into the particular fields? And that's difficult. I mean, as we saw with some of the more... Of the papers here that tried to engage Smith from the level of area studies, there had to be a lot of remedial work that they'd had to do for us who were in that position in order to get to a small Smithian point. So I think as we move forward, how to how to how to translate Smith into area studies will not be easy. But maybe that's the point. I mean, that if as one of the points that came out several times in the in the in the conference was the. The playful or ludic dimension of Smith, maybe that's the method. I mean, it is to show the playfulness or the ludic dimension of what we work on, or how you know, quote unquote, sacred kingship in Tibet is no more special than any other type of um, power hierarchy. So maybe maybe that's it is the is the the playful dimension. Maybe that's his method. I mean, did he have a method other than other than showing the 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 religious is not qualitatively different than uh, non-religious.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think
4: self reflexivity It was maybe.
3: yeah, self-reflexivity. I think I think that is certainly something that's required as we as came up in many of our conversations. Yeah. And but maybe coupled with that playfulness.
4: Yeah, well, I think you're right. I, mean, I think that Smith's Smith's message, on one hand, is very simple: we need to be self-conscious, self-reflexive scholars. Who don't treat religion as any as then somehow special or different from other more mundane things, and I think that's where the playfulness comes through. So the question becomes: How do you translate that into particular religions, which, and in area studies, which tend to be a lot more serious and so not engaged in play, and how do you translate that into an pedagogical? Idiom or idiom working with the communities, which are not accustomed to think about religion in a playful way, because this is what the Bible says you're supposed to do, or this is what the Quran says. Um, so, I think the classroom is easier to to translate that than the community, but it still poses it's 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 it it's, it's, it's set of it's set of problems. In our conversation yesterday, we said that. Um, where Smith tried to translate some of his more theoretical ideas was in the dictionary. I'm not sure how successful the dictionary was. I mean, I, I, no one like you know, no one engaged the dictionary here. We rarely talk about that. We talk about the essays in his, his main publications, but we never talk about the, the 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 dictionary. In fact, I haven't looked at the dictionary in ages. I want to actually go back and look at it. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's it's it's it it it's hard, but but maybe the main translation of that is to get students to be playful with religion. I think that's what I try to do: is so that they can joke about it. Obviously, I think it's easy in the community too. But yeah, yeah. Um, as we move forward, and I think I said that in the in the lecture, is that if I mean we have to absorb Smith's critique, we have to some to absorb his wit. And we have to absorb his edge, but create new edges and new wits as a way to move forward. Because if not, as I said, we'll just we'll just make him into a name or slogan that doesn't have any any any, any venom. Um, and I think that maybe the way to do that is to bring him into the study of particular religions, which isn't easy. The main thing that I really like about Smith is that he encourages us to use our imaginations.
3: And I agree. For Smith he does encourage that he encourages odd comparisons that might yeah. not make sense and tracing historical etymologies yeah. and to get yeah. a to have a better conception of how we talk about religion and human activity. And human activity. Yeah. yeah.
4: It's hard because I mean I agree and I think that's the way it should be, but ultimately if you're in an area, so like in Islamic studies, my work has to be adjudicated by people in Islamic studies. that might or might not, and chances are might not, come out of religious studies. So uh, and so you always you always have to move back and forth between trying to make theoretical contributions to the field of religious studies, but with the realization that people in religious studies might not read it because it's in Islamic studies or Jewish studies or Buddhist studies or whatever. And at the same time, write in such a way that those people that would naturally read it, people in those area studies, would be able to understand the argument. So that's always the trick. Um, I think I've been able to do it well. But I don't think it's it's easy, and I think I've, I've, I've ideally i ideally I've tried to pave a path for young scholars in Islamic studies. to Try to do that, whether it's success or not, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But that's the I think the 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 main one of the 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 as we move forward, that will be one of the issues is how to translate Smith, and we talked about that. I mean, we talked about. Uh, I know um, Daniel Barbu and Nick Malin at, uh in Geneva or in Switzerland have tried to translate Smith into French. I'm not sure to what effect. Uh, I'm part of a project that's trying to translate Smith into Italian. Again, I don't know how, I mean, how, how, how to translate. Again, it came up several times. How do you translate Smith for an undergraduate American audience? Is one thing but how do you translate it for an Italian audience or a French audience or a Polish audience is another thing and I don't think that that's that's easy but I think Smith should be translated into other languages probably maybe in more, in not not a, not a you know word-for-word word translation but a more conceptual type of translation how do you take the playful aspect in English and translate it into Italian you can't do it you, you have to translate you have to you have to you um, be playful in italian in order to trans so it it becomes this very difficult process but all translation is difficult you can say do you want a literal translation or do you want a conceptual translation and i think it's the conceptual translation both at the literal level in other languages and into other fields within religious studies that will be the, the 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 difficulty moving forward but I think if it can happen. I think it will happen. I think most of us here are committed to make that happen.
3: Yeah, I think so. I think it, as as, as it was mentioned, it doesn't happen overnight, those changes. Yeah. Which I think that, to me at least, is why having more productive work happening in the classroom early on and not following the method of just give information, undo it later.
4: Yeah. I like to, see, I kind of like, because I have to work with Islamic studies most people don't know anything about Islam, I really have to, I have to begin by making sure they know the narratives. And ideally know the texts and the languages. Because then I think you can learn the, I think you can learn the theoretical stuff. And I, I, I know probably people would disagree with me here, but I'm, so I'm old-fashioned that way. But I think you need the description and I I Think you need the details and the facts, but later you can say that well, no facts are facts. They're simply ideologies going by the under the guise of whatever. But I think students need that. And then they can they can they, then they can play. Because you can't play unless you know the, the rules of the
3: game. That's true. You you have to know the rules, and I think that's key. But where I think I'm gonna push on that is that. Most people, they're not going to play. They're not going to be here, right? And so if we're talking to an undergraduate class of a 100 people, um, and this is the humanities credit that they get, what then? Because they're not going to remember yeah. the, the narratives of Islam. They're not going to remember different facts about any world religions. Yeah, that's tough. And so is the key then that they have all of that data – that makes them feel more confident in yeah. saying, well, I know what true Islam is versus yeah. being well, able to, to weigh those claims of authority and authenticity against one another.
4: Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, you're, I, you're right. I, I I always speak out of our own context and I'm lucky is because we don't have humanities requirements at my university. People are in the class because they want to be in the class. And I think if I'm playful enough in the class, then they'll come into the second and third level classes. Um, so yes, so I, I don't have to, I've never dealt with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I did have to teach like the big, the largest class I teach is like 18 to 20 students, <laughs> all who want to be there. Um, and who do the reading. So if I were to, if I had to teach these big, <laughs> I couldn't even imagine doing it. Um, I don't know what I'd do. I really don't. I mean, I guess you're right. I, I, how do you, com- how do you, how do you transmit the information, but the same way, way let them know that the information is wafer thin.
3: It's contingent.
4: <laughs> yes. So that's, uh, I mean, that, that is the, um, yeah, that's the way that's, uh, that's a, that's a tough question. And, and uh, I don't have to think about that too much, which <laughs> is a a is a cop out. But I know if I taught at a large state university, for sure I would have to think about that.
3: Well, I think that 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 is part of it, right? That the ways in which any discipline is approached varies so drastically across yeah. universities. But
4: that's what Smith said, but that's a great point because I mean Smith taught at the type of place that I teach at.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: You know, so very bright undergraduates. Like, you know, some of the brightest in the country, um, who probably had some idea of what, of the, of what, of the, what the religions were. And then he could kind of work to undermine that. So like where I teach, I teach an introduction to Jewish history class and most of the students are Jewish. They've come out of often Jewish day schools in the New York City, Boston area. They know their stuff. Like they know the data. But I get them at the classroom because they're very bright. Who think, well, you know what? Maybe, maybe my parents, you know, maybe, maybe not all. All doesn't quite make sense. So I can, I can. So at the introductory level, I can probably do what people at a large state university can only do at the third or fourth year. And I wonder if Smith probably had something similar to that, as he must have, you know, taught. So I think that every institution is different and there's large state universities, there's a small or liberal arts colleges, and then there's like the elite private university, Research One universities, that have different constituencies. And maybe that would have been a good workshop, is like, this is translating Smith into the undergraduate classroom. But heck, I don't even think we can translate them, most people can't even translate them into their own areas of research. How they translate them into the classroom is not it's not easy because i think to go back to where we began is smith asks us to do what the modern academy smith asks us to do that which is the opposite of what the modern academy encourages us to do which is to read quickly to read fast to not have an imagination and to not take pedagogy seriously and I think that all of Smith's work shows that no, you have to do, you have to do those things.
3: I think, yeah, I, it, it absolutely does to me. And I think that that's, that's something that is lost given the, the requirements both of grad students and tenure track faculty, instructors, mm-hmm. of course. Um, that there's so many demands on production that there's yeah. not enough time to really investigate something that might not be in your area or work through how to apply something. And and this was a question I think that came up in terms of applying Smith that should we be trying to strive for a literal intentional understanding of Smith as the author or should we take what we can whether you whether he's taught in the classroom explicitly or referenced um and and adapt it and try to apply those ideas mm-hmm. in ways that might not be obvious but well if we're going to talk about the other let's consider issues of immigration or yeah and that way you can bring it in even though his eg's are not anything that i would use personally yeah, in a yeah. class um, or even overlap with the yeah, area right. I work in, um, but try to take some some sort of nugget or something from from his approach mm-hmm. in terms of shaping our own approach. Because yeah, that, yeah. As, as you mentioned, that's you know that's a, a key thing for Smith is is how he is approaching yeah his own research.
4: Yeah. I think Smith might say um forget about me I'm, I'm i'm gone uh but take some of the tools that i've that i've tried to play with and work with them you don't even have to mention my name you don't have to even say jz smith said this just just take the self reflexivity take the playful element take the the comp- the comparison, and, and, and again, I mean, like when, when Smith says that comparison, you, you can't compare X to Y without having a third term, Z. Um, I mean, like on one hand, that's so obvious, but on the other hand, it's so, it's so deep. But I think Smith would say, well, just move forward. I'd like to think that's what he would say. Forget about me. Just keep the creativity, keep the self-reflexivity, realize that the, the, the terms you use probably have baggage in them, and don't simply replicate them. That's what I've learned from Smith. I think for me, the main, one of my main goals is to try to take some of the complicated Smithian and other analyses that we have in religious studies, in the, at least in the critical wing of religious studies, and translate them into area studies, which is not easy, and you have to do it in a particular way, But I think I've done it with a certain amount of success. Um, so I think that's, that, that, that's like how do you take ninth century Arabic texts and ask certain questions of them? Not flatten them by asking certain questions, but, um, how do you appreciate the texts on their own terms and at the same time ask questions of them that come out of, uh, that which a theory and method people do?
3: Yeah. And I think that that is the key because when we are at a conference like this there's a luxury of working with people who are all sort of working towards the same goal and and okay. are concerned for those issues but then translating that into our own fields yeah. and to others in the academy and it's
4: difficult as we it's saw with some of the more technical yeah. papers uh, on the second day I mean some of the I mean there's a lot of descriptive work or say someone working on South Asia or East Asia, in order to bring the rest of us up to speed, there has to be a lot of sort of descriptive and informative work, and only then can they get to the questions. And I think because the papers were so short that sometimes it was difficult to get to those questions because of all the background work. But that's good, though. I think, I yeah. think that's good. because I don't think Smith would say, oh, yeah, we should just all you know, give up working in areas or with text and just ask these questions, I think you would say that we have to, that, that some of us should
2: should do that work.
3: Yeah. I mean, we have to engage that. And I think what's good too in that, and with the technical papers that we heard, it is hearing from other disciplines and not talking only to your discipline. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what highlights, at least in my way of thinking, Smith's goal in terms of playing with ideas and asking different questions because when you are listening to a paper on East Asia and I do American religion, then what we have in common is not our area. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to talk to each other productively, as I would hope we would, we have to have a way of doing
4: that yeah we have have to have a common set of questions i think that's what smith what smith really i mean that's that's his uh i think that would be his definition of the field where people working with different texts and different traditions and different data sets can learn from one another by asking similar sets of questions and to me that's religious studies at its best so that that, but again it's a it's for those in more areas like myself is a trade-off between being able to do that and at the same time, being able to speak to just those people that work with Arabic texts or other types of mm-hmm. Islamic texts, which isn't easy, but it can be done.
3: It can be. And I think the only way to impact area studies in a way that could push it to a more Smithian, potentially Smithian model, is to do that and to bring that work there. And we can't also just talk, to ourselves
4: yes exactly
3: and it's easy to do but again that goes against the whole point Mm -hmm. we have to engage across across areas and disciplines within religious studies
4: yes and also (laughs) realize that sometimes area studies have a lot to teach us too yeah yeah i think that's uh that's uh i think that's important
3: I think so,
4: and I think that I really think that that'll be some of his legacy. I think that, that that's that's um, it's it's uh, he, he on one hand he didn't ask too much of us, but on the other hand he asks everything of us you know, to rethink ourselves and rethink our own relationship to that which
2: we study, and
4: if it's found wanting to transform
2: and. Thanks so much to Andy and Aaron for that uh, brilliant interview. We have had Aaron on the show before. You can go back into the archives and listen to his interview. Um, But we, I think we told the story a couple of weeks ago. We never managed to get uh, Jay-Z Smith on the podcast ourselves, which is a shame, but this is hopefully the next best thing. Um, Now, Dave, I'm sure you are well acquainted with um, with jay-z smith's work um, having studied in america right
0: oh a- absolutely it was one of the very first things that i did a, as a master's student at uh miami university in ohio with uh jim hanges who had actually studied with jay-z you know and uh day one of the comparative methods course there we are sitting down with uh imagining religion and working our way right through the you know the devil and jonestown there at the end uh which i still use with students to this day at absolutely essential material um, for my teaching with undergraduates. Um, Brie, you work in a museum, but you've also taught in university. What are your experiences with Jay-Z?
1: I remember the first time I came across Jay-Z Smith, it was in my third year of undergrad. And we did a course called Rethinking Religion. Mm. And um, the first reading we did was the In Comparison, A Magic Dwells section from Imagining Religion. And I just remember the complete sort of rocking of the foundation of everything I I'd been taught up until that point of the idea that, you know, of looking through, you know, a, a Christian sort of framework lens and I just remember that being a really a turning point in my understanding of of religious studies and I think he was probably key to my love of it in some sort of way just because of his complete sort of analysis of the comparison of different religions and his take on that sort of golden bow idea is just something that made me really passionate about it. And I probably will never forget the first time I came across Jay Z. Smith. But what about you, David? Do you remember the first time you encountered him?
2: Well, Jay Z. Smith's legacy in Europe is somewhat different. We never really. I don't think I ever as an undergraduate or masters got set a jay Smith text. Rather, my encounter with his writings came through uh, people like Russell McCutcheon and, and mm. specifically that quote, you know, the, there is no data for religion. Right. Um, and which I think is from imagining religion, is it? It's, um, but,
0: that's from uh, religion, religions, religious, I believe.
2: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I went and sort of after coming across that, I, I, as an undergraduate, found that quite hard to pin down what he was saying. And I, and I went and read a few other things and I didn't really get them at the time. I found them beautifully written and kind of fascinating to read, but I couldn't quite get a hold of anything. He writes like a, um, you know, like some of the European philosophers in that sense. Um, right.
0: Well, when he, I, when he writes want- with, Go ahead. Wittgenstein, right? When, when he when he bringing Wittgenstein in at the end of the the essay, and you're trying to give it to undergraduates, and they're like, "Who's Wittgenstein?" And you're like, uh, "Please." Well, please. Wittgenstein,
2: <laughs> Wittgenstein's writing is the other end of the spectrum. It's it's right. um, incredibly precise and sort of boiled down. But um, I'm thinking more of people like you know, like Sartre and Camus, um, mm. even um, uh, Deleuze, and people like this. Uh, Even Bruno Latour is the same. There are these magical, magical little phrases in it, but following the argument is really, really difficult. But I think now I'm kind of ready to go back and read them. I think now I would get it. I hope so anyway.
1: Mm. It's quite poetic. I remember thinking that at the time. And your comparison to Latour, I definitely see that connection with that sort of, it's almost an art form in and of itself as well as the argument and mm-hmm. so sometimes you get so caught up in the in the in the beauty of the narrative that you know you're sort of trying to sift through for the argument but you eventually get there once you get through all the beautiful language
0: when i had when i read Mercea Eliade's is sacred and profane as an undergraduate. And then you go to imagining religion as a master's student and you read the bare facts of ritual, which is just a brutal takedown of the idea of the, of the axis mundi. Um, I think that that's one of those ones that I think actually really connected with me immediately uh, beyond the prose and beyond um, uh the potential highlight of, of the uh, turn of a phrase that I think he was definitely well known for.
2: Uh, so um, what do we
0: have uh, next time, David?
2: We have another interview with uh, Sidney Castillo, who has been a real powerhouse this year. This one is entitled doctors and stigmatic stigmatics in the 19th and 20th centuries. And that is with Gabor Klanishi. So, Come back next week to find out uh, a little bit more about medical discourse and mysticism in 19th and 20th century Europe. And until then, we all say, thanks, thanks for listening listening. The Religious Studies Project is sponsored by The British Association for the Study of Religions The North American Association for the Study of Religion And the International Association for the History of Religions The Religious Studies Project is produced by The Religious Studies Project Association, SCIO A Scottish Charitable Incorporated Organisation charity number SC047750 Brought to you by editors Brianne Fallon and David McConaughey And founding editors Chris Cotter, that's me And David Robertson, that's him our features are edited by Rebecca Barrett Fox with marketing managed by Benjamin Marcus. Our Opportunities Digest managed by Ella Bach, podcast transcription by Helen Bradstock and social media managed by Ray Radford. Don't forget, you can support the project by using our Amazon.com.co.uk and.ca and .ca links or donating at patreon.com backslash projectrs. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, iTunes and other portals.